uh, scripture readings for today will come from the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 22, oh, verses 22 to chapter 18, verse 9. As they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised up, and they were deeply distressed. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the temple tax approached Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. When he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? From strangers, he said. Then the sons are free, Jesus told him. But so we don't offend them. Go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you will find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and you. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a small child and asked, and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses will inevitably come. But woe to those, to that person by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to fall away, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter the life, enter life maimed or lame, than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Davis. There's a lot happening there in that reading. We're going to talk about it this morning. We are in the teaching series we've been in since Easter in the Gospel of Matthew. And I have called this series Jesus Unfiltered. One of the filters we all have to deal with in our lives is the filter that we have in our homes for our AC, for our heating, you know, the intake filter. And it says on those filters, you're supposed to change those, right, like every three months. Uh, I don't know who out there that follows that religiously, but usually we forget. And like, oh, man, like dust is coming out of like the filter there. It's probably time to change it. And you pull it out, and often when I do it, when I pull it out and look at it, I'm like, wow, how did any air get through this filter? It's like covered in dust and filthy. As we study Matthew's gospel together, here is what I'm happening. Here's what I'm hoping happens for all of us, that we take out the filters that we all have on our minds and on our hearts. We take it out and we look at it and we ask the question, what's not getting through? What's not getting through into my mind and heart about Jesus, about who He is, and about what He says it means to follow after Him. 
What about Jesus? Might I be filtering out? This morning's reading that Davis just read for us, that this text that we're going to talk about is both strange and intense. Jesus, in this story, he pays his tax, and he pays Peter's tax with a coin found in the mouth of a fish. And we say, that's strange. <laughs> what is going on with that? And then right after that, he teaches his disciples that for some people, it would be better for them if they were to have a huge stone tied around them and they would be tossed into the sea. And their life ended. And that to not be this person, for us not to be that kind of person, we might need to cut off our limbs or gouge out our eyes. And we go, okay, that is intense. What is happening with that? And for me, and I think for a lot of you, a lot of filters start to go up there where you're like, did that fish thing really happen? And if so, what was the point of that? Like, this doesn't seem right. It seems strange. It seems like folklore. And then when we get right after that and we see how intense Jesus is being, we say, why is Jesus being so intense? Is this the same gentle, gracious, and compassionate Savior that we've been reading about in Matthew? Here's the question I would like you to ask and consider. What about this passage? What here about Jesus do we need to let get into our lives and get past our filters? There are a number of things we could say to that question, but what I want to focus on is what I see as the main theme that's holding it all together, and that is this. This is all about becoming people who know when not to offend. Becoming people who know when not to offend and how this is of extreme and ultimate importance to Jesus. Here's how I get this from the text. And if you want to do this with me, follow along. If you have something to write with, I want to point it out in the outline. You can um, underline with me. Look at verse 27. These, these verses here, this passage, is all tied together by a key word. That word is offense or offend. Verse 27, but so we won't offend. You can underline that. Since we won't offend, then what we're going to do is pay the tax. Later in verse 18, verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones to be, uh, who believe in me to fall away, it's actually the same word. In the Greek, it's scandalon or scandalize, fall away. You can underline that. Verse 7, three times, woe to the world because of offenses. Offenses will inevitably come. Underline those two, but woe to the person by whom the offense comes. You can underline that again. And then in verse 8 and 9, the verb fall away, same verb from verse 6. In the Greek, in the original language here that Matthew wrote in, they're all one word groups, scandalon or scandalize or otherwise translated offense or cause to stumble or something that trips someone up. There's nowhere else in the Bible that I'm aware of, where this word is used so many times in such a short amount of space. Why? Well, that's what I hope to show you this morning as we look at this. There are three things we're going to look at. Why Jesus offends, why does He offend, 
when Jesus says not to offend, and then thirdly, what most offends Jesus. I think as we walk through each of those, we'll get to the heart of this passage. Let's start by looking at this strange story about taxes and fish. If you're following along with the story of Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew, the most surprising thing here about this passage would be found in verse 26 and 27. When Jesus explains what's going to happen and what's going on here, He says, let's do this so that we don't offend anyone. Now, that reason that Jesus gives should be surprising and unexpected. If you've been reading the Gospel of Matthew, if you know something about the story of Jesus, up until this point, Jesus seems to be okay with offending people. It's happening all the time. All kinds of people are being offended by Him, and He keeps doing what He's doing. One of these people is John the Baptist, his very own cousin, the forerunner of his ministry, the herald who was paving the way for Jesus. In chapter 11, Matthew, same gospel, John is in prison and he says, things are not happening according to my timetable and my expectations. Are you really the one? And Jesus says, well, go back and tell John this, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, and blessed is he who is not offended by me. So John was offended. Where we began this series, this current series we're on, chapter 13, we saw Jesus went back to his hometown synagogue. He was teaching there, and his own hometown, his own family was offended by him, it says in Matthew 13, 57. And then a little bit later in chapter 15, Jesus had this intense interaction with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees and the scribes, and the disciples are processing this with Jesus, and they say, Jesus, did you know that the Pharisees were offended when you called them hypocrites, when you told them their man-made tradition breaks God's commands and that their hearts are far from God? And Jesus says, basically, yeah, I know. He says, leave it alone. They are blind guides leading the blind. So Jesus is offending people a lot, and he seems to be very okay with that. And sometimes it seems like he's intentionally offending people. So what is different here in this story and in this passage? Why all of a sudden here and in the following passage in chapter 18 is Jesus so focused on not? offending? The answer is this. Jesus was very, very concerned that people were offended by Him for the right reason, not the wrong reasons. Let's look at what's going on here in this story. In verse 22, chapter 17, the scene shifts. Um, Jesus had taken His disciples far, far away from uh, the central uh, point of Israel, of Jerusalem, even of his hometown, he went to the outskirts there in chapter 16. And there they basically had their midterm exam with Jesus where he says, who do you say that I am? They say, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. He says, you got that right. And here's what you need to know. It is necessary that I die and be raised again on the third day. And Jesus was very clear with them. So he had taken them out of Israel in order to have that conversation with them. The transfiguration happens. They come back to home base, Galilee and Capernaum, 
where a lot of the disciples were from. And this is the last visit Jesus will make here before going to Jerusalem. And as soon as they get there, what happens? Someone comes up to Peter, right, in verse 24 and says, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And maybe a better translation of that is, your teacher pays the temple tax, right? You can tell from how it's worded there that it's a loaded question, right? Peter says, yes, very simple, yes. We're not sure why they didn't go directly to Jesus, why they went to Peter, but that's what happened in this instance. Now, what is this tax that they're talking about? This tax was for the upkeep of the temple in Jerusalem. It was for the ministry of the temple. This tax was actually instituted in the book of Exodus for the tabernacle, Exodus 13, 11 through 16. You can read about it. And it was reinstituted in the book of Nehemiah when the temple was rebuilt in order to support it, in order to have the central place of worship supported for the Jewish people. And in Jesus' day, it became an expected duty. All faithful Jewish people, of course, they support the temple. But there was a lot of disagreement about exactly how and whether it was mandatory or voluntary or how many times you had to pay the temple tax. So the Sadducees said, it's voluntary, it's not mandatory. Some of the other teachers, the Essene community, said it's not a once-a-year tax. No, this is a once-in-a-lifetime tax. So with that background here, maybe you can get a sense of what's going on here with this question. As with many of the questions that people asked Jesus, they weren't really interested in the answer, right? They were interested in causing controversy, in having a debate, in trapping Jesus to build a case against him. So when Peter comes back to the house where Jesus is, and Jesus knows what happened, he affirms Peter's answer. He says, yes, uh, verse 28, we, we will pay the temple tax. Why? Because it's the least offensive thing that we can do. This controversy, Jesus says, this offense is not a good reason to offend. So here's a story about people who are looking for a reason, right, to be offended. And some of you say, that sounds a lot like today. Every issue that we could probably even think of has like just this explosive background behind it. If you want to share something on social media, if you want to talk about politics, if you want to talk about health safety, if you want to talk about issues of race and ethnicity, right underneath anything you can say, right, it feels like somebody's going to be offended. And for some people, the kind of the stereotype happening in our culture, some people are like, you shouldn't offend everyone, you shouldn't offend anyone, so everybody stop talking and be silent. And some people are like, I don't feel like I can say anything, I just have to stop and be silent. So what do we do when it seems like everyone is looking for a reason to be offended? Do we say, well, just forget it, we got to speak the truth, whatever. That's their feelings, that's their problem, I'm just going to speak it. Or do we just hide and say, yeah, this is, this is stuff that I know will offend people, so... I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to be quiet. 
in this passage, Jesus offers us a different way for his followers. Yes, some things will cause offense. Some of these things can't be avoided, but he was very, very concerned that people are offended by him for the right reason. And so should anyone who believes in him and follows him and hopes that others will too. What is then, here's the question, right? The right reason to be offended by Jesus. What would he say? And there are a lot of ways we could answer this question, but using this text here, I think it boils down to the very beginning of this passage that we heard read, verses 22 and 23, Jesus says, this is who I am. I am the son of man. This is what you need me to do for you. I need to die. I need to go to the cross. The right reason to be offended by Jesus is to be offended by who he says he is, the king, the son of man, the Lord, and what he says we absolutely need for him to do for us, to die. If it came down to those things, Jesus says that's the right reason. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block or offense to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Christ crucified is offensive to everyone. Let me explain that a little further using this passage. Look at verse 18.1. Right after this incident about the taxes and offense, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask their own question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Okay. Interesting question. Jesus says, forget about being the greatest. You need to worry about just getting in, he says in verse 3. And there's only one way. You need to become like little children, and you need to be a welcomer of those who come like little children. A child, to come as a child means your status, your achievements, your moral goodness, your religious devotion, your knowledge of the Bible, it means nothing. To come as a child means you come as you are in complete need and dependence. Jesus says, if you can't do that, if you can't come to me like that, then you can't welcome me into your life and you can't get into the kingdom. Jesus is getting right here at the core of the offense, the right reason to be offended by him, which was so very different than the religious leaders of the day, what they were teaching and all other man-made religions. All man-made religions say, the bad are out and the good are in the kingdom. Jesus said, no. It's the humble who are in and it's the proud who are out. And Jesus was okay if people were offended by this and he knew it was necessary that many needed to be in order to understand who he was. So, the issue of the temple tax, that's not a primary issue. Jesus had a position on this. He had some thoughts on this. We'll talk about that in a second. But he didn't want anybody to be distracted by that. He didn't want, to be, he wouldn't, he didn't want anybody to be offended by his position on the temple tax, that they would miss out on what's most primary and important about him. So why does Jesus offend? 
He offends because he came teaching this. We all need saving, and only he can save us, which is offensive to anyone who says, I don't, I don't need saving, and I can do it myself. Jesus was very, very concerned that people who are offended by him are offended for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. Beyond the specific issue here in this story, the temple tax, Jesus is teaching Peter, he's teaching his disciples how to avoid offending people for the wrong reasons. And let's look more at how he does this. When did Jesus say not to offend? Peter came to Jesus. Jesus asked him some questions, verse 25. So what do you think, Simon? Whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes, from their sons or from strangers? Peter said, from strangers. And Jesus said, the sons are free. You're right. And what does that mean? It's a little bit cryptic. It's a little bit mysterious. It's almost like it's a little parable here all of its own. Jesus is essentially saying this. Just like kings don't tax their own children, I don't have to pay the temple tax to be in the presence of God the Father because I am the Son of God. I am His Son. I'm free. And so it is for everyone who follows me. The tax was for the temple. The temple was the place of God's special presence and for the atoning sacrifices. But Jesus has already taught, I am the fulfillment of the temple. I am where you meet with God. I am the fulfillment of the temple, and I must die in the place of others. My atonement is the fulfillment of all atonements. I will give my life as a ransom to set you free. So the tax, it didn't really do anything to bring anyone into God's presence. It didn't do anything to deal with sin at all, Jesus was teaching. So we're free from it. Pay it or not pay it. It's not an act of disobedience. It's not breaking God's law. God does not require it, but not paying the tax will get us into a controversy. It will cause offense. It will cause people to miss what's primary and most important about me. So we're going to pay it, even though we're free not to. Christian friends, please hear this about this passage. This was, this was striking to me this week. One of our main and most serious responsibilities as Christians is to clear the way for people who don't know Jesus and people who are learning to follow Jesus alongside us. One of our primary responsibilities from Jesus himself is to clear the way to take out all obstacles for anybody who wants to get to Jesus that shouldn't be there. We should be very, very concerned with that. We should be very, very focused on that. We should make the way clear. And what we say and how we act, and in the choices we make. You know, when a little toddler is learning to walk, and just taking their first steps, and you set the toddler up, and then you have the mom or dad over there, walk to mommy, walk to daddy. What do we do? We make sure it's a level path. It's not a path with all kinds of rockiness or ups and downs or inclines or, or declines. We take everything out of the way. We don't put up like some American Ninja Warrior obstacle course between the toddler and their parent. 
That's for later. Maybe they can tackle that course later. But now they just need to get to mom or dad. Just take those steps. Jesus says, let people come to me like children. Don't do anything that would get in the way. That's the only way they can come. Some of you might be thinking as we're developing this passage, are we talking about being soft and compromising as Christians? Shouldn't we stand for the truth and be uncompromising? If you're thinking all the time about what will offend others, isn't, isn't that just people-pleasing? Now, there is a way to be soft. There is a way to be people-pleasing and to compromise, but that's not what this is about at all. Knowing when not to offend is a core part of Christian life and discipleship. Let me just show you this from the letters of Paul, Romans 14. Paul said this as he's discipling this church. Let us no longer judge one another and said, instead decide or resolve never, never to put a stumbling block or an offense or a pitfall in the way of your brother and sister. He said this again in 1 Corinthians 8.13. It got even more intense here. He says, I will not be the cause of my brother's downfall. If food causes him to stumble, if it's an offense, what I eat, I will never eat meat again. And just right now, somebody said, he's going too far. <laughs> I ain't giving up meat. And then from the passage we read, already this morning, in our time of confession, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Everyone. Just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they might be saved, so the children might come and get to Jesus. There are some things you can do and say that you may be free to do, it's not disobedience. It's not sin. But you choose not to do or say. There are things you don't have to do. You're free not to, like this tax that you do do. Learning this is a core aspect of learning to follow Jesus. There are different kinds of offenses out there that, that sometimes we can commit. There are unintended Offenses. Sometimes just in our own maturity, we put something in the way between another person and Jesus. And those are opportunities for forgiveness and for growth. There are unavoidable offenses. When we speak and act in obedience to Jesus and His Word and out of a love for others, that offends people despite our best efforts to do it with gentleness, grace, and respect. But there are unnecessary offenses when we unnecessarily put something in the way between a person and Jesus. So whether something is right or wrong, true or false, or whether you are free to do it or free not to do it is not the only thing to consider. We are to consider, how am I paving the way for the people around me to get to Jesus without anything in the way. That's the goal Paul has here and Jesus is pointing us to, that all we can do in life and speech is to pave an unhindered way to Jesus for everyone God brings into my life, which is very different 
that a lot of what we think about, especially in American culture, which is very focused on our rights. I have a right to do this. It is a free country. I need to protect my rights. That is not unimportant. But we follow the Savior who gave up his rights in order that we might be saved. That's what we want people to see in us so they can get to him. When we unnecessarily offend, what's the big deal? What can happen? Well, Proverbs 18, 19 is helpful here. What damage can be done? Proverbs 18, 19 says, An offended brother is harder to reach than a fortified city, and quarrels are like the bars of a fortress. And we know what this means because when we're offended, when we're hurt by someone, it's like we build a wall. Like, I am in a fort now because you offended me. You and anything you want, it's not getting through. I have bars up, and you're going to have to work really hard to break down that fortress. This happens in all our relationships. We know how hard that is. Jesus is saying, when we unnecessarily offend, we put up a wall around that person and the Savior we follow, Jesus. We can do that. When not to offend then, never offend unless you're convinced it's unavoidable. That's what Jesus is teaching here. What about this fish miracle? You get so you didn't talk about that fish yet. <laughs> What's going on with the fish? Okay, let's talk about the fish. It is interesting that the actual miracle itself is not recorded. There's a ton of commentary about this. Jesus said, this is going to happen, go get a fish, catch it, but it's never said, and then that happens. So that's interesting. I wonder why. There are a lot of answers why. I don't think it means that the miracle didn't happen. I think it means it did. And it's a little strange because it's out of character with the miracles of Jesus. His miracles were focused on restoring and healing others. Here, this seems like, hey, we might not have the money lying around, so this is for our advantage. Go get it out of the mouth of a fish. I think the point of the miracle is this. God will provide for his sons and daughters, especially when they make necessary sacrifices so as not to needlessly offend because it will cost us. We will have to give up rights. We will have to hold our tongue. We will have to think and pray about it. It will cost you time. Here in this case, it costs them money in order to pave a smooth way between people and Jesus. I think that's the point of the miracle. I think it did happen. A little strange in Jesus' method, but I think he was saying God can provide even when you sacrifice. Before I get to the final point, I just want you to consider this question Every Christian should be able to process this and answer this question. It's this. When was the last time you said to yourself, I could totally do that? I could totally say that. I wouldn't be wrong. It wouldn't be untrue. It would be my right, but I won't. I won't do it. I won't say it because it might get in the way between this person and Jesus. As Christians, we should have an answer to that question. It takes great wisdom and maturity and love to know when to offend and when not to offend. And one of the main ways that we develop that kind of maturity, that kind of character, is when we realize what most offends Jesus, which is our final point. Verses 6 through 9, which are the most intense verses in this text. As I look at those verses and ask the question, what most offends Jesus? 
What do you think? How would you answer that question? Here's how I would answer it based on this. What most offends Jesus is people who consider the offenses of others greater than their own. People who focus on the offenses of others and ignore the danger of their own offenses. It seems to me that this is what most offends Jesus Christ. Think about this. What offended Jesus the most? Yes, at one level, all sin. He is holy and pure and righteous. Any disobedience was offensive to him. But did Jesus ever once say, you sinners out there are the worst in all of your sinning. Get away from me. You're sinning all over the place. You're disobeying all the time. You tax collectors and prostitutes, go away. I can't stand you. He never once said that. For some reason, they were all attracted to him, even though they knew where he stood on every moral issue that was going on in their lives. But did he not go into the temple and cause havoc and start throwing over tables in the very center of religious life in Israel? He started yelling at them, woe to you hypocrites, over and over again. Why? Because the people who were supposed to be paving the way for others into the presence of God, showing the way, opening the door to meet with God, to receive His grace and hear His truth, were making it harder. We're putting up obstacles, putting up all kinds of offenses. That offended Jesus. And in my reading of the Bible, this is what most offends Jesus as I see it. Look at verse 6 in chapter 18. Jesus is very intense here. The most offensive thing, he says, is for someone to cause one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, to be offended. And that's when he says, it would be better for you to have the millstone. There's really no other place that I can think of where Jesus goes that far. He says, woe. Verse 7, woe to the person. Woe to the person by whom the offense comes. And the next verses continue the warning. Just don't be that person. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, causes offense, cut it off, throw it away. Better for you to enter life maimed or lame than have two hands and two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes offense, gouge it out and throw it away. Better for you to enter life with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. Be more offended, Jesus is teaching, at your own sin, at its impact on others, than in comparison (laughs) to the sins of others. Think about this also for a moment. Who was most offended by Jesus? It's one of the most clear observations I think we can make about Jesus as we read the Gospels. Sinners, the morally bad people of Jesus' day, were not offended by Him. The sinners, the morally bad people of Jesus' day, were not offended by Him. Isn't that fascinating? What are we to do with that? The Son of God, God in the flesh. He attracted those people. He did not offend them. Jesus did not tone down the moral demand, the ethical standard of the law. He intensified the standard of the law. No one ever did greater than he on money and sex and power and anger and reconciliation. His standard was the highest. Yet many people who did not meet this standard were not offended by him, but they were drawn to him. The people most offended by Jesus were who? The people who thought 
other people's sins were worse than their own. That something they had in their righteousness and goodness set them apart from other people. They were the ones who were most offended by Jesus. Here is something Scott Saul said in his book called A Gentle Answer. It's one of the books I recommend that we read this summer together. I'm reading it. It says, because Jesus covered all of our offenses, we can be among the least offensive and the least offended people in the world. That's what Jesus is driving at here. In verse 22 and 23, he says, here is what it's all about. I am going to die. He's trying to drill it into them. I am going to die. At first they said no. They rebuked Jesus. Here they were deeply distressed when Jesus said it. In order for your offenses to be covered, Jesus is saying, I have to be treated like the most offensive one. In order for you not to be facing hellfire and the cutting off of your limbs and your eyes, I have to face the hellfire. I will be cut off. And on the one hand, that shows us just how offensive our own sin and shortcomings are to God. It's what it took. And Jesus says, I am willing to be cut off for you. I am willing to give up my rights for you in order that I can pave a way for you into the family of God, come as a child. There's nothing you can bring. There's nothing you can do. If that is true, then we can be among the least offensive and the least offended people in the world because we know how offensive our sin is to God. What could somebody possibly do or say that would compare to that? And because we know Jesus took our place as the offender. We won't do anything to get in the way between another person and that grace and that mercy and that love. Final thought. Last and final application. Here's the take home. Be less focused on other people's sin and stuff and be far more concerned on whether I am a person by whom Offense can come. This means we work with all seriousness on the ways my life gets in the way of other people seeing Jesus. Be willing to cut anything off that might cause others to stumble. In order that as Jesus paved the way for me, I might pave the way for others. Let's ask Him for the grace and the wisdom to do that. Would you pray with me? Our Father... We know we can only call you, Father, that we can be free to stand in your presence right here together, knowing that all our sin is covered, all our great offenses. We don't carry those. We are free because of what has been done for us and in our place. And I pray that you would lead us into this wisdom, into this love, into this difficult place of this sacrificial life. 
not because it earns us some kind of greatness or standing that we don't already have, but because we have that standing with you, that we would long for other people to know the guilt-free, shame-free, sin-free life that you are leading us further and further into. Lead us into that life. Give us a heart and an, and eyes to see how we can pave the way for others to know you. And would you help us, each one of us in this church, Trinity, never to put a stumbling block or an offense or any obstacle between those who are longing to come to you and those whom you are drawing to yourself. Give us the grace to do it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.